0: From a Prohibition era tunnel deep underneath downtown, this is Main Street Mesa. I'm Ryan Wozniak. I'm David Kraming. Thank you for joining us on our podcast adventures. Series two,
1: diving into Happy Cities by Charles Montgomery. If you don't have a copy, pick up anywhere where books are sold. Well, not anywhere. Sold. Anywhere where they stock this book. Anywhere this book is sold.
0: With us today is Camille Weaver. Camille, welcome. Hi. <laughs> uh. She's bringing the energy. Yeah, coffee. It's all right. Yep. So uh, tell us a little bit about it yourself. We,
2: me and my family, my husband and two daughters, moved to Mesa just over, barely over a year ago. And since then, have kind of been obsessed with how we can help Mesa flourish. So we try to get involved with things kind of like this. We listen to the podcast.
0: Before that, you were in Tempe, briefly. Right.
2: Briefly, for a year, we rented there to figure out where we wanted to, to be. We went to Mesa. And Good it's, choice. It's funkiness and affordability. You know,
0: kind of, what and affordability.
2: Part of it. We could have gone somewhere else. It wasn't just that. Mm-hmm. But that was a nice perk.
0: It is a nice perk. Well thank you, welcome. I wanna start with news. Is there anything going on in Mesa that uh wants to that you wanna uh chat about? Mm-hmm. updates? There's always so
1: much going on
0: in Mesa. Like we are always uh trying to figure out what's the next uh, adventure for the
1: city because developments' interests seem to be quite
0: high. Yeah, we've got a lot of projects on the books. Not not a lot breaking ground, but uh, it's a little exciting. ASU is now confirmed. The city is paying for that. They're going to start construction at some point.
2: Correct.
0: Uh, downtown on City Plaza building, where the parking is next to the Jimmy Johns. Yeah. We're behind it. Next to it, something like that. <laughs> there. I don't know. I think in one of the plans they were going to buy it. Which I hope they do. <laughs> we'll be losing a gem of Jimmy John's. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Believe it or not, they can move. There are other buildings they could go into if we need the Jimmy John's. Um, and the associated, uh, oh, what's like $70, $75 million in construction costs plus debt? It's about a $100 million project and it's all being paid for from revenues from our utility bonds
1: uh, that hasn't changed
0: that hasn't changed and that's that's an interesting way to um, use utility monies and uh, got a lot of questions about that mm-hmm. although it's better to sure. use profits from that than whatever APS is doing with it that goes to their shareholders and I guess I guess we use the profits to go to our shareholders the people who live in Mesa how much?
1: Give us an update
0: on uh, art ArtSpace. Uh, it's almost done. It looks really great. Uh, the, the fences are going up uh, to the sort of courtyard, so um, in the next couple weeks will probably be your last time to sneak in there and, and mm-hmm. walk around unattended before it's completely uh, sealed off except for residents and public events, but it's going well. I think the last round of artist interviews is actually tomorrow and Tuesday oh. for... Um, to get people in. That would be the middle of June, whenever this podcast drops. You'll have already lost that opportunity. (laughs) Uh, You already lost it because you (laughs) should have been on that list months ago. Uh, Any other news or questions about the news or Mason news? No one knows anything because, well, I mean, we have the Temple Historic District. That's a big big thing too
1: so quickly just to dive into cnu i liked uh what i heard from andres duane about uh historic preservation and how before you give up on anything with historic preservation you need to demand to see what's coming in place of it rather than just being opposed to redevelopment which i thought was a very uh very good uh comment that if we get something to be celebrated in place of historic uh, what's being preserved, um, then it opens up a conversation worth having. But so often we've been stung by letting go of things with historic significance and then getting crap in return, Yeah, which is why everybody gets so up in arms about being so uh, trying to preserve our historic structures.
0: The the biggest thing that I have to say is that the developer, City Creek Reserve, which is the for-profit arm, or one of the for-profit development arms of the LDS Church, has done a terrible job of letting people know, this is why we're doing it. They're like, no, we're going to apply for demolition permits, and then two months later we're going to tell people what we're doing, and then we're going to tear everything down. So that's it's how like, they
2: tell people what they're doing?
0: The yeah, president. they just announced they had an um, unveiling June 1st. But it's sort of the backwards way of doing it, saying this is what we're doing, and you get people either excited or at least educated about what you're doing, involve the community in that process. And then, but because we're doing that, we have to tear down these, what is it, eight homes, seven homes, eight homes that are contributing. Because one of the other concerns from the neighborhood was that it could impact, no one knew if removing eight homes or nine homes from that Uh, historic district would impact the actual eligibility of the historic district Mm. and it would have been a simple question to ask the state historic preservation office does this have an impact but they didn't and so it left a big cloud and created a lot of resentment a lot of people are very angry about it and just saying oh it's just a typical another mesa deal there they try and Sneak this in under, underneath yeah. the radar and don't keep everyone in the dark.
1: Yeah. You have to always be on guard for cronyism. And so people, <laughs> that, that message has gotten out apparently. Like, just, just shake your fist at the man and hope that uh, everything will be okay. But there's, that's why we define processes and that's why we have public planning uh, procedures.
0: Well, but it's good development practice because they followed the procedures and it created the, the problem that they're in.
1: Okay, so the adoption procedures don't say that they have to propose something before pulling demo permits, which is part of the problem.
0: Well, because you can tear down a building anytime you want. That the process is, if you want to tear down your building, this is Arizona private property, rights, right. so you have, you just submitted a, a application to tear it down. So that process is completely. There's no requirement that if you want to tear something down, you have to have an idea for what comes afterward. They're completely separated.
1: And that brings us to chapter one, the mayor of Happy.
0: Charles Montgomery is the author of a book called Happy City, which we're reading. <laughs> and we're covering chapters one and two, pages one through 43 of uh, whatever version of book I have in front of me. He also wrote the book The Last Heathen. I didn't know that. I've never even heard of that. I don't think there's actually a last heathen, though. Oh, <laughs> we... Um, I have the Canadian version. No, no, American, printed and bound in the USA, published in Canada. I have no idea what version I have. (laughs) The Anchor Canada edition published 2014. That's what I have.
1: Uh, It was my understanding that your cover was the Canadian version and my brighter primary color version is the American version, the U.S. version. I don't
0: know. So you're implying the the dark, asphalt-laden, Depressing covers are more attractive to Canadians than the bright, shiny, pastel. It has pastel. A, nice a nice bike lane on it. It is a nice bike lane. Look at that minimal
1: amount of green that it takes to uh, say <laughs> this is <priority. laughs> no, That is the bike lane. <laughs> that is the bike lane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
0: it's a great dimension. So the book starts out. In Bogota, Colombia, with Enrique Peñolosa hectically going across town on one of their cyclovia days, where no no cars are allowed, trying to pick up his trying to pick up votes and his son from school. Seeing that you're
1: a deacon of Mesa Urbanism, you should be granted the privilege of giving sainthood to people. So. <laughs>
0: I don't know. I think we need to have a papal conclave before <laughs> to do that. That's a it's a serious uh, endeavor. But uh, in, in Enrique Peñalosa should be considered towards uh, sainthood in the uh, Main Street Mesa Church of Urbanism.
1: It is hereby declared that Enrique Peñalosa is nominated for sainthood. Okay. Right. <laughs> so we're, we're collecting saints. We have St. Jane and we have saints in the D.K. so um,
0: do
2: night
1: nighthood. Oh, night.
0: Very military, though. But I guess there's a thin line between Catholic Church and militarism, or at least historically. Fair enough. They're less on the Crusades and the Knights of Templar and such. So
1: there's a lot of talk about uh, giving people opportunity that is unveiled by getting around by people power, being bikes or even transit. They did transit pretty well there too. What was your thoughts on uh, giving people the freedom of letting go of a car? Did anything strike you?
2: Well, just reading it was a relief to me. Because this is how my family tries to live anyway. So to see other people trying to push it forward was like, yes, it could happen. Um, and it just makes a lot of sense. It just seems logical mm-hmm. that people would want to live like this, I guess.
0: Well, yeah, but why... It seems logical, but we're not doing it.
2: Yeah. Well what Ryan was mentioning earlier is that it's it would be risky for people I guess the planners, people in power to start changing things. But I like what this guy was saying is that it the the way a city works is in the hands of its people. So I wouldn't I don't guess how how do we engage our
1: people?
0: Yes. That's the grand question that America seems to be doing worse and worse at.
1: So thank you for being part of our conversation because we really want to help uh, lift that uh, that conversation elevate that conversation for the folks in mesa so that they realize that there is a platform to be had and that their voice does matter and here's an example from Colombia where people's voice mattered and we we try to say that we're you know a democratic republic here so let's embrace that democratic aspect of things we've so we uh...
2: We're a one-car family, but it, it mostly stays parked in the driveway except for the 115 days. Uh, so we've had a lot of fun just having people see us out on our bikes and even some of our friends who know that we do that, they're like, what? But it's three miles. You just bike three miles. are like, yeah, my kid just did it. Like it's, it's not very far. So getting people to just start to imagine a different way. Like I don't, I don't really fault them too much for how we are kind of just doing things the way we always have. So maybe I guess if we can just get that Im- imagination sparked and letting people see how we can do things another way.
0: Okay, yeah, I see you and your kids and and Josh riding down the street. Our house is right on yeah, the fir- first <laughs> uh, off, street, and uh, we get a lot of people riding their bikes because it's the one of the official bike paths. Oh. and uh, so uh, every now and then I'm like hey oh, nope no. Nope. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do you uh, do you refer to any sort of mapped documents for how you get around via bike here in Mesa or is it just more organic every,
2: every now if well if my if our kids are with us then we try to take like go through neighborhoods because we don't want them next to cars going between 40 and 50 miles an hour <laughs>
0: yeah
2: uh, but whenever we get into into downtown where there's the charro for, we can take up the whole lane, we usually move into that because it's, I you know, and we feel a little bit safer and that's where we can be the most seen, I guess. And most people, I think, don't even realize that the charro is there, that what we're doing is legal and okay. <laughs> We've gotten, people have flipped us off. They wrote down the window and yell at us.
0: Yep. Mm. no like That <laughs> yeah, was our experience when we took about 10 people. We did a uh, bike audit. We went went down Maine from basically extension in Maine all the way to past the temple to Horn and back. And uh, it was fine around Maine when the speed limit was high. It's like 35, so people go 40, 45. But you have your own bike lane and no one cares. They just go... Whoosh. Yeah. but as soon as we got downtown, it gets into the main street and it's the sharrow and you have to take the whole lane. We had people like veering into the light rail uh, lane, screaming at us, telling us to get off the road. And we're like, cool twice. And we're like, all right, that's, that's what we get for an hour. Yeah. Um, so in the book, he talks about, or Enrique Peñalosa talks a little bit about trying to give people dignity and designing the city to give people di- dignity. And uh, that stuck out to me, the idea of, of dignity and mm-hmm. and transportation and place as being part of dignity of people. And he talks about that
1: uh, in public space and... Uh One of the things that I've grown to appreciate over time is to think about streets as public spaces, too. Like Everybody kind of recognizes that a, a park is a public space, or that a plaza is a public space, or even that your city hall is a public space. But, like, honestly, public spaces are woven through our entire city. They're called our streets, and we all share them, and we all benefit from them, and we all use them to get to and from where we're going or they can just be places to kind of hang out and you know sit curbside and have a a chat with your neighbor or sit out uh you know drinking a beer on main street you know if you go to oro and sit out on the patio so the streets can be places for many things besides cars but that's just not our mindset and so keeping that in mind the dignity aspect and thinking of streets as public spaces I think that really, if we can just get more people to, to conceive of streets in that manner, that would go a long way to elevating people's dignity. What are your thoughts? Is this, is this street welcoming to a family?
2: Really, for the negative, the negativity is maybe only 25, 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. The other time, it's, you know, people, Every now and then, I get applauded by someone, <laughs> and that's a lot of fun. Or our our bike setup is unusual, so sometimes we'll have people in cars slow down and point, roll down their window to ask about it, and they'll keep going. How so? Uh, how so? Is it unusual? The, uh, it's a cargo bike. Um, one we use most often is a long tail. So it's a kit that we bought from Extra Cycle, and you remove the back wheel and add basically like a. Elevated skateboard deck is what it looks like to the back. So it's three feet longer almost, so we can get both our children and all of our groceries back there. And it looks weird.
0: <laughs> and it costs less than a car payment? So much less. <laughs> like
2: it, when we bought ours used for so even.
0: Costs less than car insurance for one month? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Where do you get all that money? <laughs> <laughs> How can you, know, you afford
1: Expensive. Extravagant money on such. So,
0: your your comment about the streets as public place it really got me thinking about about well, streets as public place and where kids play in the street and how people are like, oh, kids don't play in the streets anymore. Mm -hmm. And part of it is because streets are only for cars, or Mm -hmm. that that the mentality is that that's how it is, and people go rocketing through our neighborhoods. And, and legally, it, would, it, it is for
2: cars, too. It's not just mentality, right? Like, we wouldn't get in trouble for jaywalking.
0: is yeah. true. Except for, you know, I think legally, if the street speed is 25 miles an hour or slower, you can do a lot okay. more. Like, you can't jaywalk in a neighborhood. In neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And also, the, that concept of
0: uh, you getting yelled at by
1: people because you're taking the lane, mm-hmm. that's legally what you're right to do. Yeah. You are on a vehicle when you're on a bike. Yeah. Any... Any sort of bike, well, you know, the little kids bikes that don't have tires bigger than 16 inches. Technically, they're not legally bikes. So you can't do that, but nobody's going to put their 12 inch wheel kid out in the middle of the lane. So regardless. So, but if you're on a bike, you're technically on a vehicle and you have a right to a lane, but people don't think of it in those terms. And, and to kind of paint that broad brush, um, on state highways where people are traveling 50 miles per hour. Uh, it's probably not the safest uh, advice to give anybody either. Although there's, you know, the hardcore uh, dudes on speedos that would tell you that's your safest option, and that's what you should exercise, and you know, just build some adrenaline and do it. Um, yeah. I don't see that being practical advice for most people. No. But I mean, we do have we do try to remind drivers of that as you enter into the uh, downtown Main Street. Right there's the the white sign. Bikers may take lane, you know.
0: Signs, go. signs, everywhere, signs. Everywhere. <sighs> people, don't know, people, signs. Yeah. <laughs> people don't pay attention to signs. People don't pay attention. They are reading <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> While driving, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the, um, the, well, I just think about that. Now, part of the reason that kids don't play in the streets is because people don't think it's safe for kids to play in the streets because people are... Rocketing down the street. Um, But in the neighborhood where we used to live, your neighborhood, Camille, Mm -hmm. um, our kids played in the streets all the time. And I loved it because all the neighborhood kids came out and everyone played in the the street. And um, it's always sort of made me nervous. But it also meant that people were more thoughtful about about people using the street, that it was a real neighborhood street. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more of that shared space and an understanding. You know, we need more Wayne's World playing hockey in the street. Mm-hmm. Game on! <laughs>
1: uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, we definitely played in the street all the time. But we also had alleys, which I, which I feel like took off some of the pressure from the streets for people who are just trying to get to their house, right? They would take the alley and park on the rear. There's
0: no pressure. If you're driving down the street and there's kids playing right. in the street, slow you just down. slow down. Chill
1: out. Chill out, right? Yeah, And you
0: still get there you, maybe 10, 20 seconds later. Yeah. When I mean pressure, I mean uh,
1: from a traffic count perspective,
0: right? So. But there's no problem. <laughs> stop trying to make this an engineering problem. <laughs> if there's not, Stop trying to find yeah. an engineering solution to a Social something. Problem. There's no problem yeah. that exists. This is true.
1: I'm just saying that the layout of your streets can uh, can contribute or uh, relieve this problem. Because take take for the opposite example, right? Like so, in our areas, everything's going from your our, what's supposed to be quiet local streets to a collector to an arterial, and what that does is funnel most cars to one route of traffic, and that's where the the, the dangerous circumstances and the the concentration of cars end up going. But in a place like Savannah that we were just in, the street grid is much more uh, laid out and dispersing the, the traffic counts across uh, more, more frequent streets. So you don't have these cars all funneling to the major thoroughfare and creating unsafe conditions. And then you get this variety of streets um, that you get to enjoy rather than disconnected local streets.
0: So before we move on, I just want to ask, what does it mean to you, Dignity? In general, because I, I look at this and I think of human dignity, right. like um, like he wants more people to feel dignified, and I think that means children, I think that means adults, the poor, the rich, everybody should feel human dignity. What What does human dignity mean to you? Sense of worth to mind first. I'm going to borrow from the keynote that we heard on
1: one of the nights at CNU and talk about um, belonging, sense of belonging that you on whatever mode of transportation that you choose uh, feel like you belong and that you're not some kind of outsider who's more outside or, or uh, the suspicious
0: person. You're not because, supposed to be there. Yeah, you're suspicious too
1: because, like, why why don't you have enough money to own a car almost? Like, so you, all of a sudden you're, like, the stigmatized okay. person.
2: Get your act together. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but dignity also... I mean, there's there's a lot a lot to it, and and I think that the sense of place, the sense of ownership, the sense that you belong, I think that that's a huge part of it, and I think that. They're right that if you're riding your bike, whether it's for health reasons, whether it's for environmental reasons, whether for money, whether it's because you're 12 and you legally can't drive a car, you should feel a right to belong on the street and a right to feel safe and not be yelled at or flipped off with your kids or things like that. And that sense of dignity is, is lost in that, that sense. Um, so I, I don't know. I just... I. I always try and bring it back to sort of like the more human grander questions. I mean, we've been around as humans a while. Cars have not. And we're still struggling with with that. And the way we've built cities has changed a lot over the past 10,000 years. And so what does this mean? A little later, he he talks about, what about our needs for for happiness? We need to walk just as birds need to fly. We need to be around other people. We need beauty. We need contact with nature. And most of all, we need not to be excluded. We need to feel some sort of equality. And so I was thinking about walking and and moving around on your own power and linking that to the idea of freedom and equality. You know, you watch car ads, and they're about, freedom! (laughs) Freedom! You can get around anywhere.
1: The cars, the that car that's being advertised is the only car on the road in those advertisements, too, right? Oh yeah. It ever have to deal with anybody else who owns a car?
0: Or I just, you know, we had the the streaming radio station on, listening to music, and one of the ads that played was for some SUV, and they're like, "Oh, and we're going to eliminate all tantrums with our brand new entertainment system," and I'm like, "Ooh, that's bad parenting advice." <laughs> <laughs> Kids, no tantrums if you have TV. Come on, mom and dad. It's
2: happening anyway. you do the pass back. Have the
0: phone <laughs> yeah. Have the phone have the phone <laughs> or the tablet. Technological solutions to non-problems. like tantrums are part of life. They're part of having kids, but it's not a solution to hand them a right. screen. But we're stuck in cars all the time that mm-hmm. you know if you have to drive 30 minutes to take your kids to, soccer to grandmas whatever you're pulling uh, out some of the normal solutions that you would have like if you had a tantrum at home i don't think you'd well some people will just be like all right put it we'll put it on the tv here's your tablet here's whatever but that's not a long-term solution so
1: camille when you're biking with your kids versus driving with your kids where are they most entertained
2: what you're watching everything happening sometimes between they're flying or i'll play music and we'll sing
1: on a bike. On a bike, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so the wind's in their hair. They get to actually experience the space around them. They're not isolated in some car. Like, right. Ah, where's the music? All, all of their <laughs> senses
2: are engaged, but uh-huh. that's not happening in a car. Right.
1: I feel so guilty sometimes on uh, car rides with my four-year-old. I can, I can tell he's bored, you know, like... Put on the the red song, you know, like on, yeah. on the CD, R E D, red. red. <laughs> You're like, oh god, this is so torturous. But it's like it's the one thing that will entertain him yeah, in this boring car ride.
2: We've got Dixie Chicks on repeat right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
1: Yeah, it's it's so bad. But you know, it's it's. But uh, I never get that when I have him in trailer uh, on a bike. You know, he's yeah. just experiencing the ride. It's fun. And just enjoying it. It's yeah. fun. Dignity to families. Get us out of our
0: cars. Rule we- oh, and happiness and freedom. and e- I love the idea of equality and freedom because I think that those are American ideals that we sometimes pervert.
2: I was going to say that sometimes I feel guilty putting my kids on our bike, too, because a lot of the trips that we make, it's just not set up for someone on a bike to do it. So we're having we're like smelling exhaust, and we're having a way that these awful crosswalks where you wait forever, and there's no shade, and... They're sweating and they're hot and they're thirsty.
0: Well, and if you're in your car, you would just have the air conditioning on full blast, and you wouldn't have to deal with the environment we've created—insulated <clears throat> pods. <laughs>
2: but so many people don't have that choice. You know, coming back to dignity.
0: Well, I think about Alma School in Maine all the time. And just whether I'm walking to the light rail station there or I'm at the fries or I'm driving past there, and the sheer number of people that are moving from the light rail to walk home white light, light rail to the bus, vice versa, and I just look at that and i'm and then I think about i was I was walking to work from our house or walking to light rail to go to work, and I was just sitting there, and it was I wasn't super hot, but you know like a hundred hundred and five, and it was it was miserable waiting for. Mm -hmm. the light to turn and I'm like we don't think about this because the AC's on full blast Mm -hmm. usually
1: and that prize is my uh, go to shopping uh, grocer Mm -hmm. and there's so many times where I see the miserable walk that people have to take across that Mm -hmm. sea of asphalt that's unshaded and everything there's been more than one time where I've Thoughts in the back of my mind like somebody just needs to come here at night and like give these people some dignity and just like carve in a nice shaded walking path for them to ship in some you know box trees or some (laughs) shade structures, just give them this this dignified walk because right now they're just so tormented.
0: Tactical urbanism. Mm -hmm. So, we talked a little bit more here about the increasing privatization of public space, and this goes back to your comment about. How public spaces and resources are largely being privatized, cars and um, mobile vendors taking over plazas and sidewalks, people fencing in or walling um, other areas. And this is talking about, more specifically, I think, actions in Bogota that are probably illegal, but... In our community, and our culture, we're doing that more and more through laws of exclusion. Like, we are privatizing public space, mm-hmm. let, telling people, oh, you can't be here after these hours.
1: Well, it's easier to let the, the private entities be bad guys and usher off the, the undesirables, right? Like, so if it's privately owned and privately managed and privately secured, then it's just, lot. Well, you know. No, it's not a
0: public space. They can kick you out whenever they want. Right. I mean, no shoes, no shirt, no service. But if it's a public park, if it's a sidewalk, can't do that. The thing that blew my mind was the very first Dia Sin Caro was that no one died in traffic. Mm-hmm. And hospital admissions fell by a third. I was just thinking about, <laughs> we're having this big conversation in the valley too about like, you know, the city of Phoenix with a complete streets program and you know that's five six years of trying to get that passed and city council is and city staff have basically been trying to banish that group they've been done with their work for more than a year and we're making headlines for being the most unsafe for pedestrian community where someone's dying at least a couple times a week on our streets in the valley and the idea that we can go through a day or a week without someone being killed by a car hmm. so talk about dignity
1: I want to hear the other side's point of view. Because for the most part, it just seems that uh, they fold. Like, here's a complete streets policy, guys. Let's implement it. And they're just like, maybe it's not the right time. But, like, where's the, just the honest feedback the hesitation?
0: I hear it all the time. You know, there's a the guy that killed that pedestrian. And they're like, do you have any remorse? And he's like, no, it just happens. <clears throat> and... And that seems to be the attitude, that someone dies on our streets, and it, j- it just happens. You know, it's just the cost they of... They should have used a crosswalk. Yeah, or, or, you know, they were in the crosswalk. Oh, it just happens. You know, it hap- it does happen, uh, but it's not okay that people die.
1: Yeah. Especially at the rates at which people are dying. Yeah. Compared to our national average, which we seem to be doubling.
0: Yeah, we're, we're number one. We doubled out. Uh, it's not okay. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, oh, acceptable losses. Those are acceptable losses in our streets. So the, sometimes people
1: start feeling uh, like they're in a deeper despair when we get to this point in the conversation, right? Like things are so bad that, uh, well, what, what are these crazies talking about on Main Street? about this human-scale dignity crap. But if you look at where Enrique Penuloso picked up his challenge from, much deeper despair much deeper uh lack of dignity right uh, he he addressed the UN's wor- world forum in 2006 everybody's talking about disasters and uh the, the floods and the you know fiscal uh crisis and all the rest and he's like is this are we talking are we here to get like drowned in despairs or do we not see the opportunities that are in front of us as the world's urbanizing this is a great opportunity to think about how we expand our human settlements to be more prosperous to be more dignified to take advantage of all the opportunities that the urban context provides us so are we going to step up or are we going to get you know mired in despair i really appreciate that bravery that it takes from a political standpoint Mm -hmm. to step up and see the bigger picture
0: well and i think later on in chapter two he talks more about it but he starts to talk about the paradox of happiness and wealth and that there's this you know at a at very low poverty the line between wealth and and happiness is very strongly correlated Mm -hmm. but as soon as people seem to be doing just about average Mm -hmm. the line between health and wealth uh is no longer correlated so the more money you get you don't become more happy Mm -hmm. and and i think that that i i am i'm deeply allergic to the uh the idea of happiness as a measurement um probably because we do a really really bad job of defining what it is that we're measuring um but nothing in here has made me go ah (laughs) right just Um,
1: even if we can't measure it perfectly it doesn't mean that we can't feel it
0: well and you know he talks about it like uh, expanding households their household size the number of highway miles um Americans are flying 10 times further than, than other people than we did 50 years ago in airplanes. Um, we are offering three times as many square feet per person in, uh, our homes and our wealth explosion. Well, look, look, four and a half pounds of trash a day, 60, 60% more than 1960. We're, we're doing more and more and more, but we're not seeing a happiness dividend out of the, the wealth out of
1: think, think of all those expenditures of what you just kind of listed is what we're investing in they're very much the me uh expenditures right and uh i've been also uh been thinking about this from the perspective of the opposite end of the spectrum happiness is depression or despair right so where people fall into depression is when they stop doing things that make them feel connected to others. And if we're doing things for, if if the American ideal is to, I'm going to make myself happy today by going out and spoiling myself, by buying myself something new, or going out and getting a pedicure, or whatever it is, then that is a a, a me-centered culture that is describing happiness, or trying to fulfill happiness with this, calorie voided like junk food um that's not really filling the hole and it's only when we act in a way that helps uh connect us to others and do for others and have others do for us it's this mutual social bond of what we're expending on that's what will really you know, drive us away from that depression and give us at least the opportunity to be happy
0: so he talks about material versus emotional wealth
1: How have you experienced this material versus emotional health?
0: And I didn't see it in the book yet, but I've, I've read that when you talk about purchases as buying happiness, the only place where that actually works is in purchasing experiences. So mm-hmm. travel or volunteering or things like that. What's your experience with that?
2: Same. Yeah, I... I mean, so every now and then I get on this cake, like, oh, maybe I'll make this a, I like get a good deal on something on Craigslist or off. <laughs> and me like do it again. It felt good. And then we have this jump that sits around and it, and it just feel crappy. So I go through these cycles of like having things and then like being minimalist and throwing all of it away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, there are a lot of people who have uh, experienced happiness from that uh, purge. Right, yeah. something about uh, doing away with all it's these things that are cluttering your uh, your world, whether it's trendy or if it's just uh, an untapped uh, or an art form that we yeah. haven't made
0: consistent in our lives. Yeah, we?
2: well, trends can be good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the other part that it was mentioned a couple times, Enrique Venieloso was talking about. Can you imagine if we designed the entire city for children? and um it's a Brent, Brent Todarian says that children are the indicator species of a successful city that's just it feels right what 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 is a city designed for children how do you live in it that as an adult
2: what do you mean if it was designed for a city how do we live in it, what, what well,
0: if, it if, like? if, if, if Mesa was designed more for kids if it was a, a more kid-centric community what what would it feature
2: I see a lot more art colors like tactile things to touch tactile. and climb like the ter- it, it's not so um monotonous the terrain is changing and it's an exploration it's not just getting from point a to point b but it would be an exploration along the way hmm. you don't have to nag your kids to look both ways for crossing anything safe yeah
0: could they do it on their own could they be more independent yeah maybe not your three-year-old
2: not the three-year-old my five-year-old could do it If it was safe, she could do it.
1: There's a term. I'm not even going to define it. I just want to ask you if it means anything. Messy cities. You talk about monotony. And I think there's a term that I recently learned about messy cities that uh, is the opposite. What is that?
2: Messy for... For whom, like the a tourist coming in and can't doesn't understand how a city's laid out, I can see how that would feel messy. But for someone who mm-hmm. knows the city, it sounds like life giving.
1: Yeah. So like, there's life giving. I'm yeah. I'm a pretty messy uh, person at work. Like my desk is cluttered, but I know my clutter.
0: Like right. nobody else knows my clutter.
1: I, like this stack means something to me, and that stack means something to me. Like, um, so. But in Messia, in a city, I see it as uh, far less engineered, where we're trying to lay out neighborhoods with mm-hmm. very specific uh, lot sizes and specific house sizes and specific roads. That, like that It's allowed to be a little disorderly. But what that does is it doesn't allow anybody to travel through your city very quickly mm-hmm. because there's a little bit of unexpected that you always have to be on the alert for. Mm-hmm. And so whether that be... Uh, a a unique traffic calming device that's at an intersection like Tempe's deploying or what have you it's just it doesn't feel like it's clean and and crisp lines you know there's this funky uh windmill that might be in the middle of it or whatever it just makes people pause a little Mm -hmm. so what if weeds are growing around it you know it's like it just feels more like organic
0: yeah not sterile well, and there's a big question too. It's like Mesa was designed, not, Mesa was not originally designed to move traffic quickly. But by the time we hit our growth spurt in the 60s and 70s, we had shifted 100% to how do we, how do we move the traffic as quick as possible to get to Phoenix for work and back to go to home? If we slow that traffic down, but we don't have the jobs here to support Because it's not a big deal if if your commute is 30 minutes no matter what. If it's 30 minutes walking, that's probably a better commute than 30 minutes in a car. Mm -hmm. It's just the distance has changed. But you still need to find that job. You still need to be able to go to a place of work or a place of recreation or worship or whatever in a meaningful way. Mm
1: -hmm. There's always chicken and egg questions with how to get there. Like, if you're solving for the 30-minute commute by car to be easy, then uh, you're probably cutting back a lot of the opportunities for the 30-minute walk to be interesting, right? If you're going to have the geography of how the city's laid out function for the car, that's challenging for how you lay out the geography for the function of the pedestrian or the function of a bicyclist. I think that a bicyclist is a lot easier to transition to from mm-hmm. our current culture because you can get three times or four times the distance in the same amount uh, of time on a bike than you can uh, walking. But uh, so that's a transition from the the long distances that we can get by car to bike, and then if we can get the biking, then we may be able to get the pedestrian thing. Um, but these geographies look a lot differently and how close people live, how dense people live, and how uh, you, you need a certain number of households to support the, the jobs and to support the, the stores and support the, the institutions, right? So unless we give up some of our private space uh, that we all um, work for ourselves, then we're going to kind of be destined to... Be in a car because that geography is challenged. Otherwise,
2: we also have this the illusion of distance, so perceived distance versus actual distance. Mm-hmm. Our house is not far from Sycamore Station, White Rail Station, but the walk is so boring and unshaded that it feels like it would take forever to get there, even though mm-hmm. you clocked at seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so not far, but maybe a third of the way through. Our children start to cry or they're bored, carry me, because we're walking through neighborhood where, you know, everyone stays inside for the most part and front yards are somewhat desolate and boring. And then we have to cross either the car lot where they were selling cars when they are doing antique stuff there. Anyway, lots of pavement, blacktop, hot. We got get the hot scorching wind coming off of it and coming off the street. So it feels like it takes forever to get there, and we hate
1: the walk, so we just don't do it. Have you ever tried to do the cargo bike um, to a library? Yeah. How does that work? Uh,
2: Fine. Usually, well, I try not to do it whenever I know that there are going to be
1: a rush hour.
2: Yeah. But usually people are really accommodating and even helpful. Mm -hmm. Like if it's crowded, they'll make sure folks are moving out of the way. They'll make sure that no child is left behind on the platform. (laughs) But it's not... It's it's not meant for that,
0: so it's, it can be trouble. Yeah, let's talk about happiness, and this is the more like cultural happy feel goody stuff. Talking about uh, you know, Plato and uh, so- Socrates, Socrates, <laughs> uh, Horace, um, talking about like what does it mean to be happy? You know, like to. To think or behave virtuously, and it got really into sort like the Roman thoughts on the, mm-hmm. the philosophy, and I, I got a little irritated at it, but I also saw a lot of things that I feel are missing. Um, talking about um, Socrates um, doing his talks on Phoenix Hill, there's enough room for gathering twenty thousand citizens to to basically debate this, and I was like, man, these guys did not have TV. but later he talks about empathy i mean horace talks about you know we all need to move to farms and this was about the rich people moving out to their villas which uh, i was just listening to a history podcast and basically the reason all the rich people could move to villas is because that they had uh thoroughly corrupt tax officials that basically went and collected taxes like oh i need your annual tax multiple times a year, put these people out of work, sent the young kids off to join the army and got to take over their land when then the rich could come in. And, uh, so, uh, that, uh, that fell short. Our constitution talks about happiness. We talk about happiness and work, the happiness versus short term and long term. You know, we're not talking about happiness of I'm happy at this moment, but I'm happy in general. Um, even Adam Smith says that wealth and comfort alone could not bring happiness. What does happiness mean to you? What What is happiness? What are we talking about in a happy city?
2: Being in a city where you have choice, I think, is a big part of it. Choice? You can Yeah, you can just be human. You don't have to follow this track that the planner laid out for you. Mm-hmm. Give me an example. Oh. <laughs> new
1: I'm, I'm, <laughs> <It's important>.
0: Well, <laughs> <apparently>. well... <laughs>
1: All right.
2: I don't like. You don't have to be confined to this four-foot sidewalk, or you don't have to take this designated bike path. You don't have to live in a hierarchy of you know, cars, bikes, buses, walkers.
1: Have we done a good job at laying out uh, modern cities to really uh, allow for experimentation from people, so
0: that they have? Honest, to goodness, choice. What do you mean by modern cities? Are you talking about like Amsterdam? Are you talking about Phoenix? Are you talking yeah. about so
1: in our existing context, right? Like Mesa, Mesa, Phoenix, the the whole Mesa Phoenix metro. Like, is there really any great place where um, you can, you know, say, I don't want to live my life in such a prescribed uh, lifestyle. Um, I'm going to try to exercise or experiments with my lifestyle in a, in a unique way. And is there any space for that?
2: It's probably a little bit of wiggle room. I read stories of people who go out and experiment and try to, I guess, modify their city to be more human-centered. And they get in some big and doo-doo for it at first, but then they keep persisting. And after a while, it seems like most of the, or maybe I'm only reading success stories, with cities do kind of come around and support it.
0: Well, and I think that, we have spent so much money in building our roads and our infrastructure to be in certain ways that undoing them to do that tactical urbanism to make experimentation is either too expensive. Well, and where does that money come from? Because we've pretty much eliminated top down planning at all. So there's no like, Hey, let's try this. It's like, no, we, we can't try anything because we could be wrong. It's the, it's the opposite of what it's sort of uh it's the response that planning took from the jane jacobs criticism that they're too top down and they're not talking and they're not thinking about people Mm -hmm. but so much to the work that it's in action planners don't do anything or haven't done anything for a long time that's been taken over by engineers and and private development that just says this is the way it is and they've now, taking over the top down planning, they say this is the way it must go. Because
1: our performance says so, and we can make money doing this.
0: Or that's the way the stand, that's that we yes. built the street to standard. Yes. It's a 50 foot right of way in a neighborhood. <laughs> why? Well, because that's what the standard says. But, but why? Like, we know that that's less safe. People drive faster. And it's like, well, no, that's what the standard says. <laughs> well,
1: let's take a, an opportunity like P.S. the Mall, right? Dead, yeah. desolate. Not complete private property.
0: Not Government no, has
1: no control over that. Not going to do anything with that property. Uh, that's
0: anytime. supposedly they're under construction now to put in all the colleges there.
1: So it's going to be dispatched to the FCC.
0: No, no, it's all private colleges oh, like oh, Collins oh, Colleges yeah. and all the all the private stuff.
1: But when you have when you have something that just goes to complete crap. Like even take the property that's north of Fiesta Mall, that's been...
0: You yeah, know, of off forever. the Strip Mall. The Gracie property. Yeah, the
1: Gracie property. William
0: yeah. H. Grace. Is that... Yeah. yeah. If,
1: if we had systems that allowed for, you know... Nobody's going to uh, hate on this eyesore being a potential space for experimentation like that seems to me to be an opportunity to where you're not going to get a whole lot of opposition from the neighborhood because anything
0: is better than that but the property owner doesn't want it
1: but could we is there not a a, a way choosing to, to think way? outside the, the city the the people uh the cdcs the uh, entities that uh could be formulated to um create some kind of co-housing or eminent domain or whatever it is like they're, Can't they're, use there's the risk. there's risk to this this death star of a property continuing to exist in its current
0: so absolutely form. the city could go in and eminent domain that property um then we know that because of uh what was it new haven new london The Supreme Court decision says that that can't be used for private development for seven years. There's a time, timeline there. So if the city wanted to go in and buy that corner, it would have to be a park Mm -hmm. or it'd have to be a public, public good. It couldn't be a private good. So no housing, no development or no retail, anything like that could go there. So if the city went in and eminent domained that property, what would, what would the result be? Or what could the result be?
1: Right. Uh, different types of housing and living.
0: But you can't uh, do that by law.
1: Opportunities. What if it was a non-profit or just still open private? Open to public uh, entities, just allowing people to come together who don't have uh, the private funds or mechanisms to to act in a, a you know typical
0: private... Fashion. It would just have to be a public use, so that housing would have to be open to the public. It could not ever be private yeah. for those seven years. So you couldn't have a private home because it has to be a public good.
1: And it doesn't necessarily even need to be permanent, right? Like, take on the more tactical approaches to things and just
0: allow everything to sort of be temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, Which... I mean, you don't even need to do that. You could go to, say, Fiesta Mall and and the new owner's super excited and we want to take over, we being the city wants to take over an acre of the parking lot and redo it. Okay. So the city could do that tomorrow, right? They just sign a lease. They say, we'll pay you this many dollars to lease this property for a year, five years. And then we want to do this. And so the city would then pay for that. The taxpayers would pay for that, that investment. But that would have to be supported by the general public that wants to try that, right? Mm-hmm. So the city council is like, well, do we really want to spend $5 million on that to try that out? It does. I just, yeah. All these
1: things are not politically uh, easy. It takes bravery to kind of say. Leadership. We, we want to open up the door to experimentation. We do not know what's going to come out of it but we just would like to open the door to allow people to come together and try to problem solve uh, for a life work play educate little community that they make onto the onto their own and find folks who are frustrated with their options that are currently here in the city and open the doors for experimentation
0: right and it it would be a public public expense and a public risk mm-hmm. And especially given that, you know, for example, that Fiesta Mall location, it's at the corner of two very busy streets that's not connected to anything. So it would be an island.
1: But I'm saying that there's already kind of risk and death currently there.
0: But it's privatized risk. So I understood.
1: And so uh, <laughs> uh, the public, uh, the public investment, I don't think is as um, is, is risky as maybe the, the um, traditional. Uh, mindset might think of it because we are already missing out on productive land value that would be there uh, if something were actually happening. Mm-hmm. So there's there's enough, there's incredible amount of upside, and as long as the risk is uh, even if the experiment fails, there's still worth to that to that study and to that opportunity to to study what happens when people come together and start experimenting. With how they come together to build a community. And as long as they're not too, um, narrow minded in just borrowing from what they know and really trying to think outside the box with some co- co-housing or, um, different, different opportunities that do not find themselves here, uh, that would be, that would be the criteria that I would like to see set forth. So like, you know, something that's not available currently in Mesa that you can experiment and find new, uh, cooperative living structures.
0: Yeah, but you would just have to convince right. city council that that's the way it goes. You need four votes, mm-hmm. and that has to, and that goes back to sort of the top up, top down, bottom up. Is yeah. that the top down? The person with an idea has to come up with that idea, but then the responsibility is to then sell it to the broad community and then follow through with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that exists in community right it now. It would
1: be an experiment of happiness
0: or. We're <laughs> finding money for it. The biggest thing is where do you find if you want to do a co-housing development, all right? You're talking about $200,000 a unit, and you want to do, let's do, mm, smallest co-housing development I've seen is about 20 units, all right? Plus land costs, plus infrastructure costs. That's Those are all sunk. And it fails after five years. hmm Not that I think it would, because Arizona has great examples of very successful and expensive and exclusive co-housing developments. But it's just finding the initial capital and convincing someone that that capital is worthwhile and the risk is mitigated.
1: And I would allow for those kind of upfront capital uh, costs are largely associated with um, doing things in a permanent fashion and doing things to code. And if you kind of are, are open to experimenting and only thinking of this thing as a temporary thing, then you could probably get away with, like, water tanks and other things that might be uh, ways to reduce um, some of those,
0: those costs.
1: costs. So it would take some outside-the-box thinking. yeah.
0: But uh, there's got to be a way to do it. I mean, it happens across the world, but they end up being slum conditions. Yeah. And so how do you do that in a way that that builds dignity and worth.
1: Right. All right. Well, that was a nice little
0: <laughs> tangent from... Uh, so I, I, I want to go shepherd. back and talk about happiness and what is happiness. Um, so Aristotle, I found the quote, or at least this is Carol Riff's summation of Aristotle's thought on what happiness is. It's about getting up every day and working very hard toward goals that make your life meaningful, sometimes in ways that are not at all conducive to short-term contentment. Short-term contentment. So we're talking about eudaimonia, mm-hmm. or however we pronounce that. I'm sure I'm doing it wrong. The same, same thing we are talking about. She, she created her checklist of what happiness is. Self-acceptance, or how well you know and regard yourself. Environmental mastery, your ability to navigate and thrive in the world, positive relations with others, personal growth throughout life, sense of meaning and purpose, feelings of autonomy and independence. How autonomous are we? Camille, how do you respond to that list?
1: I, I resonate
2: with it. Through experience and finding happiness through these things, I feel like the feelings of autonomy and independence, there's a fine balance there. right? Because we are... We just are interdependent on each other, so I think that one is more um, depends on how you want to define it, I guess, and how far you want to take it. Because that being very yeah. autonomous and independent can also bring a lot of unhappiness.
0: If you don't rely, if you're too, if you're like, oh, I'm going to do it all on my own, you don't mm-hmm. have the the support, which is I think really the into the
2: American culture. Yeah,
0: which is funny because we. We talk a lot about, oh, we're rugged individuals and we're completely autonomous, but we're absolutely not. We're so relying on each other. I mean, Arizona especially the Valley, is a great example of how socialism works. <laughs> but we would never say it because we'll be like, Arizona, no, we're rugged individuals. Like, no, we wouldn't have water here if it wasn't for banding together as a community and supporting the development of these public works. <laughs> right. We don't acknowledge that. We don't acknowledge the work that's gone into making this place habitable for 4 million people. Great it's- he gave, a, a, I think, a pretty honest assessment
1: of, uh, of Arizona's Republican uh, flaws. Uh, you know, he's pretty proud Republican, very much of the, uh, the Senator... Uh, Goldwater? Not Goldwater. Uh, McCain. McCain, uh, you know, world. And But he's he recognizes that if we didn't band together, we wouldn't have the, the canals, and we wouldn't have access to water. And so there is... A place for government and solving these collective problems and he he was kind of rallying against some of the naivete that he sees coming from uh today's rugged libertarianist uh, mindset republicans and he kind of breaks away from them and he he challenges that naivete of like there are collective problems that require collective action um so I, i i applaud his uh his ability to be honest about that and applaud anybody who's able to to take a look at their own ideology and try to find where they're being dishonest. Um, and so, when I, I, as much as I gravitate to this list, um, I would push it back against that honesty as to how much autonomy and independence, and what does that mean to be uh, to really know yourself and to be individualistic without the context of understanding your community. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, the way I see it is autonomy and independence, meaning that you don't have to do what someone else is telling you to do. It's you, you're your own person, that you get to make decisions. You get to have choices about how you do it. I don't see it as that you have to live on the woods and gather, sure. gather acorns. It's that I can choose to go to the store now. I can choose not to go to the store right now. I can choose to ride my bike to work. I can try to choose to drive my car. That's about choice and the creation of independence. I mean, we think about this in childhood development too, and building autonomy of our kids so they do their chores on their own rather than, all right, Jimmy, now it's time to do your chores. That's a sense of, um, of growth is being able to be autonomous and independent and not rely on someone else for everything. Yeah. The only, thing, the only bullet
1: point that, uh, that pulls me away from, like, the Walden uh, perspective uh, on, like, this uh, (laughs) rugged, like, individualistic... But but uh, his wife brought him food every night. (laughs) There's no... Walden
0: was not independent. Maybe, Maybe that was the, you know, this bullet point positive relationship with others. His wife was a positive. (laughs) he went to his friend like every couple days he walked up the up the path and he was like hung out and had great conversations it's a great life everyone else provides (laughs) for you that's the reason i want to draw a line in the sand of
1: where i want to romanticize this uh this notion and uh and get you know more realistic is to we are in this together And, and even when you, uh, when you exercise your autonomy without the permission of others, you are sort of doing it with the permission of others. It's just more as a perceived permission
0: rather than an explicit permission. Well, you're given space to make decisions on your own.
1: Yeah. But it is about
0: being independent. I think there's a
1: certain maturity that it takes, uh, for us to, to kind of find our place and our social existence right so we we can push against the edges a little bit of, of our autonomy um it's you know accepted but there's a there's a certain amount of failure that i think it takes young people in exercising their autonomy to find the limits of that autonomy Probably like where i'm going is that I think the modern or today's context of parenting is we try to solve our children's problems before they have it, or, or keep them from, from making, uh, making, failing. It's an engineering model. Making mistakes. And you don't, you don't get to this understanding of self-acceptance and personal growth and feelings of autonomy and independence in the sheltered uh, caravan uh, mommy's taking soccer mom uh, world that we live in. So there's just so much to be built into, the framework of parenthood and our kids uh, to even get us uh, to a mature version of this idea of eudaimonia.
0: How do you look at happiness and reflection to this list?
2: So the other thing that I thought, uh, I don't don't know. Yes, self-acceptance. But I think whenever we, I mean, anything can be taken too far when we start navel gazing and,
0: I'm when me, we, I never need to change.
2: Yeah, and obsessing with yourself, or if you can't take into consideration the happiness of others and the you know the dignity of others that we were getting at earlier, it's not it's like this false happiness that you've created around yourself.
0: The, the line between self-acceptance and selfishness?
2: Yep, that one.
0: And what I, does that line look like? Um,
2: I guess it depends on...
0: Is there, is, is there a difference between someone being self-confident versus being a sociopath? Arrogance. The
2: arrogance. I mean, if you're not, if you're not listening to, I think one of, one telltale sign is if you're not a listener, then you're, you're absorbed with yourself. So there would be one.
0: You're talking about Ryan and me? (laughs) Huh? (laughs) What's that? We just, we just talk a lot. What about environmental mastery? I saw a lot of... I I went a bunch of different ways with that in my head.
2: Mm. I like... That one might be one of my favorites in this list, actually. So understanding where you are. There's a... Maybe it's Wendell Berry who said this. I can't remember. But if you don't know where you are, you don't know who you are. So our connection to our place is massive. And even... Yeah, and even just knowing who we are and our, our narratives and... I think where we live is a great example. We have so many people who, who move here because they like the winters, but then they still try to stick to their Midwestern cultures and do nothing but complain about how hot it is in the summer. But if you slow down and take a moment to learn the narrative of this place and adapt to it, trying to force it to adapt to your own lifestyle, you can find quite a bit of comfort and happiness just in that. Give us one
1: example of how you've adapted
2: I think adjusting expectations would be the first step. So for us, when we moved here, it would be totally unfair if we tried to keep the same expectations that we had in the Pacific Northwest in Washington, where we would spend most of our time in each other's homes, sipping coffee and cocoa. It's not <laughs> the same here. It's, we
0: uh, we could do that like four days a week, or if we, or four days a year, or if we turn the air conditioning down low enough.
1: Right, she says that with a cup of coffee. I'm right? <laughs> <was> just thinking, <laughs> I really like doing that still.
2: <laughs> so in the fall, right? I'm I'm not going to expect to come out here in September and October and to see different colored trees. Mm-hmm. That's unfair, and then start feeling disappointed and wishing. Yeah. <laughs> so Alberti's adapting bloom those expectations. Flowers. I think that that's that's the, that's the biggest thing. Change your expectations. Don't expect one place to be another. It's just not.
0: And I took I took a lot of uh, interest in the word navigate because I thought about that both as in place and saying like understanding how to get from A to B or if that means like being able to use the bus system or being able to um, talk to someone to be able to get somewhere, mm-hmm. like try and check out a book. Yeah. Like it takes knowledge. So I, I thought about that as both like a social navigate and a physical navigate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I love your comment, though, about the environment, too. It's just, we are in a place, and it does have a climate. It does have a flora and fauna. It does have things that make it unique. You know, it's about allowing the desert, allowing us to live in the desert, making the our community look like we live in the desert.
2: Mm-hmm. Makes it easier to live here.
0: Positive relations with others, that's trash. <laughs> That's un-American, and that's not where we are in life right now.
1: Everything's a competition. Uh, nobody's ever had a better podcast than us.
2: But everyone's Legal. a winner, too.
0: Yeah,
1: Right? <laughs> right. Here's your start. Yeah. Well, I didn't say everybody else's podcasts are trash. I'm just saying nobody's had one better than ours. Okay. So everybody can be equal on par to ours, but
0: nobody better. No, they're all trash. <laughs> so, but, I mean, this... I think about what you just said, though, is like positive relation with others. It's about social growth. That's about building a community. Mm -hmm. That's about having a network of friends. Um, Somewhere else in here I talked about friendship as being family, friends, community, as being core components of happiness. And you talked about coffee and cocoa with friends. Was it really about coffee and cocoa? Sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But the
1: intersection between... Self-acceptance and positive relationship with others and, and personal growth. That intersection of me is uh, t- uh, something that I can tell a lot of from others. And whether or not they're willing to, uh, link up with you and, and support you because they, they see an opportunity into seeing you grow into a, a, a foster, uh, the growth in you to be the best version of you, or they're just too much in competition with you to see an op- uh, to see any uh, upside to seeing you flourish as you, like I can see that in, in people that I interact with, and it's something that I have uh, learned to gravitate more towards, uh, trying to be the better version of that, um, and, and try to see where I see where people are taking up uh, a challenge, and like, dang, that would be great to see that come through, um, and rather than thinking I need to do something similar and go off and leave them. Uh, high and dry and trying to do it on their own I want to join up with them and say alright how can I help you do that like you be the best version of you and I see David doing that so much more than I ever could imagine doing that keeping I always- you down <laughs> I always see you uh, jumping on, uh, on board with people who are doing good things and helping them realize the better version of the, their project or the better version of whatever they're trying to get accomplished.
0: One of the things that uh, really resonated with me, someone mentioned it a long time ago, was that the entire idea behind a city is that we're in together as people working towards a common goal, that we live together because we want to rely on each other. If we didn't want to live together and rely on each other, we'd be out living in a cave or in our cabin in the woods with the typewriter and our manifestos. (laughs) Like, it's we like have that a, choice, right? Supportive. We choose to live in a city because we can rely on each other. We benefit from it. We have the grocery store. We have the supermarket. We have access to, oh, um, I mean, like, Mesa is amazing because we have Mekong and Korea Mart and, and Fries and Safeway and Bashes and Food City. Um, I, and every single carniceria around here. We have an incredible wealth of opportunity. Right. Because, we rely on other people to do those things. Those things happen because of other people. But I also feel like the way that we've built our city, the way that we've built it socially, is that we don't talk to each other as much. Mm-hmm. We don't talk to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. The the quote here is: "The city challenges us not just to live together, but to thrive together by understanding that our fate is a shared one."
2: Yeah, and it's a, and we we created the cities. We're like magnets we're bound together it's in our nature we like being with people even though they annoy us
0: when do you feel a sense of community
2: i feel i feel it in many different ways when uh, let's see i'm just going to start listing off examples that are coming to mind we have someone who's going to listen to you and then they can recall the conversation later referring back to it later I mean like not in the same day
0: (laughs) (laughs) so building that's about relationship building yeah
2: relationship building they take care of you my god so I don't we don't have family that live near us but our community our community access family so if we're sick like someone will they'll be texting us multiple different people will be texting us how are you can I come take the kids do you need some soup so, taking, like thinking of us, regarding us as um, family, important. Uh, you are called upon for advice, ideas. I think people want to listen to your ideas. Um, community safety, I think. Not
0: community that. is safety.
2: Yeah. And not just physical safety, like the ideal community, we have hiccups, right? Uh so phys- physical safety, yeah, but also just like social safety to just be just be, not perform. Um I think the real test for community comes whenever there are disagreements and it's worked through instead of just going opposite ways. I think uh
1: Word that you perform? What have you ever felt that you needed to perform in a community or is that something Uh, that you actively tried to work against?
2: I think it's kind of in my personality not to really care. Uh, But that's in the community of people I'm with, that's something that is talked about a lot, that we don't have to perform. We can just be. So it's something that's kind of declared rather than just a secondary thing that happens, maybe.
0: That it's it's okay to just exist.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you're pushed to beyond that. You're pushed beyond just existing, but not because you have to. It's more because you get if, to. If
0: you need a minute to take a breath, that's okay. You can take a minute.
2: Yeah. A day or a week, if you need to. <laughs>
0: Well, and I, I think that that is, is, do you think that that's in conflict with, or do you think that is in harmony with the idea of working to make your life meaningful and building towards long-term happiness and contentment rather than just short-term?
2: I, I see it in harmony. How would that be? How would it be in opposition, do you think?
0: Well, I mean, the, the I hear a lot that they're like, oh, people just want to sit around all day and not do anything.
2: No, no, that's not really what I mean.
0: So let me let me pose it a little. Different. Or are you are you just saying it's the two sides of the same coin? Is that the hard work comes with it a need to just take a minute and experience the world?
2: Yes. Yeah, that when I say you can just exist, that doesn't mean
0: I can
1: keep talking on
2: gather my thoughts.
1: Conforming to
0: expectations. Are you talking about autonomy? Are you saying you get to make your own decisions? Mm-
2: no, that's not really what I'm trying to get at. You can exist by being the person that you are. That doesn't I don't think that means just being a depressed recluse.
1: You could be a happy recluse.
0: You could. It's harder to be. <laughs> Does happiness come from relationships with other people?
2: Yes. I would say yes. Not solely, but that's a huge part.
0: There's a social component.
2: Yeah. It's our nature, like I was saying earlier. You can't really escape.
1: Is there it, is it, is it something about judgment in this performance word
0: that you're using?
2: Or perceived judgment? That's why we perform, right? right?
1: So, just to expand on that a little bit. Do is it natural for us to perform to at least try on a hat to see if it fits, like if it if it goes with who we are?
2: Yeah. When I say perform, like I don't. When I say perform, I mean with an audience in mind. You're
0: talking like acting perform, not as in perform as in meet expect meet meet goals or do yeah. something. You're talking yes. like acting. You're talking about putting on a facade. Uh huh. That's what ah. I'm talking about. Ah. Okay. Oh, uh, I get I get it now. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're saying to, the comfort to be yourself, the comfort to to Stevie Nix it. Is it Stevie Nicks, You can go your own way. Uh, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> it's a famous song, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh I get it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, hear yeah, it it's now. It's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. My 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 beautiful voice Stephen was not you can go, go there. Is. There you go, dig deeper <laughs> uh, No,
2: so a community is gonna encourage you to act, but not perform for the sake of making people like you or meeting expectations of other people. Okay. Am I muddying the water some more? No, I think
0: no, I that we're providing the nuance. Yeah. The it nature. is nuanced. Well, I was just going with perform like I must perform these actions. Like I'm going to go mow my lawn. I performed, yeah. <laughs> but that's what you're talking about is putting on an act and putting right. on a face, putting on a caricature.
2: Yeah, that would be life sucking, I think.
1: So when we when we are free to be ourselves and not perform, uh, that is the community uh, opening up uh, to us and and accepting.
2: Yeah, and I think when you're there, that's when you can actually perform in the way that. You're talking about David. When it feels safer to experiment and try things
0: out. Step up. Yeah, to do work. To To to, do work. At the last end, he proposes a basic recipe for urban half the last end. I'm good at the English. I propose a basic recipe for urban happiness. Page 43 of the Canadian version and the American version. Look, We're the Canadians the and the Americans are on the same page. And this book, maybe not politically. I propose a basic recipe for urban happiness drawn from the insights of philosophers, psychologists, brain scientists, and happiness economists. What should a city accomplish after it meets our basic needs for food, shelter, and security? Who makes a big assumption that we meet the basic needs for food, shelter, and security? This was written by a Canadian, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. The city should strive to maximize joy and minimize hardship. It should lead us towards health rather than sickness. It should offer us real freedom to live, move, and build our lives as we wish. It should build resilience against economic or environmental shocks. This is that you were talking about financial people checking in on you and getting your, having your back. Experience. I use the word resilience too much, but I love it. Mm-hmm. It should be fair in the way that it apportions space, services, mobility, joys, hardships, and cost. So life is not easy, but it should at least strive to be fair. Most of all, it should enable us to build and strengthen the bonds between friends, families, and stranger that give life meaning, bonds that represent the city's greatest achievement and opportunity. And the city acknowledges and celebrates our common fate that opens doors to empathy and cooperation and will help us tackle the challenges of this century.
1: The century? Why, why limit ourselves to the century? <laughs>
0: Forever. Um, My lifespan is limited. So hopefully we pass this on, and I'm not going to be in the we section anymore. The kids will... Yeah, I guess, I guess
1: whoever reads this, will. it'll always be this century.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> when it's, Duck Dodgers it's, is it's, reading this yeah, in the 20, 22nd and a half century. It, it is an evergreen statement. <laughs> <laughs> it is audacious to believe that the city might build happiness just by changing its shape. But it is foolish not to chase the thought because
1: around the world, and especially amid the sprawlscapes of modern North America, the evidence shows that cities
0: do indeed
1: design our lives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
0: waiting, I'm waiting for you to talk oh, about okay. like so, the actions of that little marmot. It's like the marmot lives. <laughs>
1: it's foolish. Uh, you know, the, the, it was the judgmental foolishness, uh, you know, that I felt I was channeling. You know, these judgmental, like, why, who is he to judge our sprawlscapes of North Modern North America? These are obviously
0: working so well for us. Uh, you don't read strong towns, do you? <laughs> <laughs> our fiscal outlook is grim.
1: So, I want I want to ask you, as somebody who's not a uh, Somebody who uh, probably fell in love with the term sprawl or something as a professional passion. Uh, does the word sprawl uh, convey anything to you? Uh,
2: sprawl is yucky to me. Okay. This, yeah,
1: does this hard. convey to you? Okay, good. I wanted. I was looking for something that uh, a word that said that it resonated with you in some way. But yucky. Yucky is definitely a term that shows that it resonates. <laughs>
2: it's icky. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard someone talk about sprawl in a particularly positive way. Though. No,
1: there's
2: not yeah. that.
0: Uh, well, we talk about mm-hmm. suburban opportunity. Yeah. New build communities.
1: Master plans to... Well, I don't know.
0: Opportunity, freedom. Be safe. America.
1: America. Yeah. Clean and, and, and monotonous. Or, I'm sorry, uh, clean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's funny to me that the uh the idea of having it all grid and zoned and everything laid out as an easy way for someone from the outside to come in and navigate it seems kind of ironic that it's actually pretty disorienting
1: yeah especially when all the houses look the same Yeah. Well, but we had a,
2: an exchange student come live with us for a little bit from indonesia and months in he asked me is it a rule that you need to paint your house the certain color <laughs> <laughs> he thought yes. it was like a, like a law Sand.
1: We paint our houses different varieties of sand.
0: It well, I mean, in a lot of communities, it is
1: nature. Yeah, it
0: is because well,
1: it's supposed to. I don't know, blend in with nature better. But are we really? That
0: concerned is. About that is. Nature? What?
1: That's that's the that's the excuse.
0: Look at the desert. It is not beige. <laughs> the desert is not beige. <laughs> You can't look, go out in Arizona and find beige out in the... I mean, you can't. If you go to the bottom of a wash, well, the sandy Sedona, bottom yeah, is very beige. But the community that's around it, the critters, the, the foliage, the everything, it ain't beige. Well, that's why Sedona has the teal McDonald's
1: arches. Cause it's so <laughs> true. That's right. That's right. It's <laughs> the that, Sedona landscape.
0: <laughs> Camille, you, you've actually finished the book. Looking at this list of, of happiness, the basic recipe for urban happiness, I and mean, what what are your final thoughts on this as ending us for chapter two?
2: Why aren't people not, it's it's simple. It is very simple to just go do it. It's, start acting like act act like you live in a city that you want it to be is I guess what we're trying to do is the start, right?
0: Some sort of radical thought, like, be the change you want to see in the something world. Something
2: like that. That's mm-hmm. good. You should bumper sticker.
0: I. We should put a quote on
1: that. <laughs> something. You know? like Michael Jackson in there, right? Man in, in the mirror. Go. <laughs> yeah. You're our curiosity. Yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. a
2: baby.
0: Big... Yeah, like Michael Jackson I moved on, I did Michael Jackson, but then MC Hammer came out, and then that was the new coolness, and then and then I found out about alternative and then and then it was like smashing pumpkins. So I, I moved on quickly from Michael Jackson. I it's didn't spend a lot of all time there.
2: It's kind of hard for me to just like monologue about it because it seems so simple and it can be so succinct we just So it's so easy.
0: Tell Mesa whatever that means. Come on guys, what should we be doing?
2: Get on your bike, take a walk, paint your house teal. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Be in your front yard. That's a helpful one.
0: Be in your front yard? Yeah. Be out.
2: I read recently, maybe it was a Strong Towns blog post. One of the easiest steps you can do to have a more livable city is to have a front porch. Yeah. And then to sit on it. Next step bring your fire pit to the front yard, not the backyard. It's another easy one.
0: Well, that is all we have time for today. Join us online. Thank you, Camille. We appreciate you riding your bike over here. Join us online on Facebook, Main Street Mesa. Email us your comments at mainstmesa.gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe. Rate us five stars and five stars only on iTunes um, or wherever you find Make sure you join us next time on Podcast Book Club. We'll be talking chapters three and four covering Happy City. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at PHX. By David as well. David. That's a good name. Our theme music <laughs> is written by <laughs> Philip Buckman, performed by the Sweaty Palm Trees, and produced and recorded by David Weirsch.
1: All right, guys. Well, thanks. And make sure that you share this episode. We appreciate it.